Life Audio. Hey, Dr. Bill Sinyard here with the Gospel Rant. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, We do appreciate that. Please click on follow uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. And then if you can, leave a review. Uh, Again, either wherever you listen to podcasts, whatever platform, or or give it to us directly, bill at gospel-app.com. I may highlight your comments on the Gospel Rant podcast page. You may be helping someone else uh, figure out uh, that this is a good place to be and listen. All right. Thanks ahead of time. So like we said, a special treat today. A decade ago, I wrote the Song of Songs novella. It was a companion book to my book with Colleen Pepper, The Kiss of God. It includes my interpretive translation. Uh, A lot of work was done to look at the Hebrew, very difficult Hebrew poetry. But it's also, the front of it is a creative screenplay version of poems, kind of an easy to read, quickly, uh, how would I put this on stage kind of thing. It was just one of those special times when a special God just energized me. I mean, it jazzed me. I wrote the whole thing in a day. It just poured out of me, really less than a day. I mean, it needed editing big time, but, but it was all there on paper. So in this podcast, I'm going to read the first movement from the Song of Songs novella. And you will be encouraged, I think. I mean, it's such great news, stuff that we probably don't hear on a regular basis about our relationship with God. But first, before I get to that, I want to briefly tackle the Movement One's closing poetic marker. You know, the one where love is like a devouring animal. What is the person talking about? What what are we meant to feel when we read that? Um, It could change how you think about and experience God's love for you right now. So many of you listening, this will be good news. This world just sucks that out of us, our sense of worth and identity and and, you know, to get a shot of how much God loves us, God putting his hand on, on our shoulder and saying how proud of us he is. I mean, this is a great thing, right? So just listen and see what God's transforming love can do for you, no matter where he finds you today, whether you've had good day, good week, or good decade. All right. Uh, first, we'll get a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. All right, welcome back. All right, here is the poetic marker. Amazing love, how can it be? Daughters, this love is a dangerous, devouring animal not to be taken lightly. Settle for no counterfeit, no substitute to this love. Don't mess with it unless it so desires. That's my rough translation. So what does it mean? 
I think that neuroscience is going to help us out. So let me explain. Let me tell you how your brain loves. When people begin to fall in love, their brains become active in a couple of key regions. It's the same areas that become active with things like chocolate and jogging and sex, right? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Chemicals associated with the reward circuit flood your brain and it begins to produce a variety of physical and emotional responses. It's subconscious like racing hearts and sweaty palms and flushed cheeks, passion, the desire to write horrible poetry. I mean, we've all been there and it's going to sound strange, but your brain actually treats falling in love like it's a stress. It goes into stress response. Falling in love is stressful. You've heard of cortisol, the stress hormone, the driver of fight, flight, or freeze. Your body recognizes love as a crisis that must be managed. And by the way, the release of cortisol also can uh, cause you to put on a little bit of weight, which if you're falling in love, that can be even more stressful as well. Uh, Don't ask me about that process. So as cortisol levels rise, the levels of neurotransmitter serotonin, Uh, shrink. They become depleted. And that leads to what one person called intrusive, maddening, preoccupying thoughts, hopes, and terrors of early love. Uh, That person is just absolutely no fun at parties And, and definitely not a Hallmark card. It's like the two people, though, become OCD towards each other, obsessive compulsive. So look, technically, literally, to one degree or another, it's a brain disorder. (laughs) Uh, We knew it, right? So you become obsessive compulsive that you only focus on one thing, one person, being with that person. You can't live that way, but, you know, people are in love. Then your brain becomes engorged in the feel-good hormone dopamine. Dopamine, you know what dopamine does. It's associated with your body's reward system. You get a dope high. It feels good. You know, chocolate, jogging, cocaine, crystal meth, those are other dope highs. Some legal, some not so much. It's the brain chemical that uncontrolled will lead to addiction. Matter of fact, there is no addiction apart from dopamine. As romance grows and you become closer, uh, more physical, your brain releases oxytocin, the bonding hormone. Oxytocin helps build trust and deep relationships. I mean, this is how God made us, right? And so far, so far, I haven't even mentioned your prefrontal cortex, where you think, where you think long-term consequences, where you're reasonable, See, all of the stuff that the the brain chemicals that's happening subconsciously in in your midbrain, your brain is subconsciously falling in love. And that's just a phrase we use, falling in love. Uh, It describes the feeling because we don't have a lot of, how else would you describe it? But it's the dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin in that brain causing things, making you feel certain ways. And we call it falling in love. And it's irrational for the most part less of a choice. It's not like your prefrontal cortex can go, no, I don't think so. There's no switch to, there's no ramp up volume. There's nothing. Your brain is kind of on its own run. Well, we could use those same words to describe what happens when you experience God's love. I know we don't like to do that because it seems so earthy and so human and so fleshly, but It's our brain, and he created it. He created it as a good thing. So I'm not talking about having sex with God. That's creepy. That's horrible. That's horrific theology. But I am talking about an experience 
a wonderful chemical cocktail that makes me feel loved, makes me feel confident and, and trusting in the arms of God in, with the exact same feeling, a similar feeling that I feel when I'm with someone that I love. Does that make sense? And the result of it is that I feel loved by God. The result of it is I actually feel like I trust God more. I actually feel faith. I think all the chemical cocktails is the neuroscientific aspects of, of faith. Faith triggers those things, and faith is built by those things. So the bride is testifying that she's experiencing the love of the king. She is falling in love with the king, the love of the king, and, and, and it's being changed by it. Something's affecting her. She doesn't have all the neuroscientific terms, but we do. And that's what's happening inside of her, something that's inexplicable. It's not rational. It doesn't make any sense. It's a miracle. It's not a choice. She's being swept up into it. She's felt it before, but just at a human level. And this is bigger and better and more dynamic. Uh, so think parting of the Red Sea or Jesus feeding the 5,000. Because here's a lady who is frightened by love, been bruised and scorched by relationship. And she's being swept up into this again. And she partly doesn't want to be there and partly desperately wants to be there. That ambivalence. So there is a power in the universe. This is so important for those of you who feel unloved and unlovable. There is a power in the universe that can that can make you and make even even those of you who have PTSD relationally and, and trauma relationally, you it can make you begin to feel loved and uh, and to love others again. I think that's hopeful. This is such great news of the gospel. The bride definitely didn't do anything to deserve it. It's just the opposite. And we'll talk more about her thoughts later, particularly in in, uh, movement number two. But she's finally made aware that he's very public with his love for her. So she's beginning to trust more, I think, oxytocin, partly. Everybody can see it. And that means something to her. There's trust. There's confidence. And she's beginning to be loved again. Maybe some of you have wondered if you could ever experience that again or in a long time. Or even in heaven. Trauma is trauma. I mean, that's the way our brains are are built. And the answer is yes, of course. Not by your choice, but there is a power that can start releasing those chemicals again. Some external power makes the bride, makes her protective mechanisms drop a little. Neuroscientifically speaking, she becomes all in. Again, not a choice. It's a movement. And at least for the moment, we're going to see there's a, there's a swing backwards, a pendulum swing backwards. But she miraculously, for the moment, sees herself the way he sees her. She becomes her, the reflection in his eyes. She has become, in his gaze, a queen, the queen, his queen. And she does what queens do. She loves him back. And by the way, when the Holy Spirit ignites this dopamine, depletes serotonin, ramps up oxytocin, and so much else, we respond. And that response, theologically speaking, is what is how I would define worship, real worship, worship in spirit and truth. It's not something that I choose to do. It's my response to the dance. It's my response to the, these chemicals in my brain. Or in the poems, it's my response to his kisses of me. Look, if you've been listening for any length of time, you've heard me say this. We've lowered our expectation of actually experiencing the love of God until heaven, and maybe not even then. And that's just not right, biblically. I don't know how that hits you, that 
you know, this, that love of God has sort of been left out on the field and we've been muscling through theology just with our prefrontal cortex. Maybe this frightens you. Maybe this triggers protective responses. But look, biblically, just tossing back to biblically, Paul speaks of this vast, unmeasurable height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. And he seems to think in Ephesians 3 that the Ephesians were supposed to be experiencing it, that they needed to experience it because of the troubles they're going to go through. Matter of fact, it's the one thing they left on the field if you if you read Revelation 2. Well, Beloved, how about you? Please keep or start saying the simple, uncluttered gospel twice a day. I'm going to give it to you again at the end of the podcast. You can pick up bookmarks on the website. Say it. If you can, you can. Say it twice a day and watch and see what happens. Just just a challenge, right? Prove me wrong. <laughs> and, and But let me know, bill at gospel-app.com. And you know Christians who are just beat up frustrated. They've left church. They've, yeah, it's just not working for them or they feel shamed. Man, get this word out to them. This has got to be good news. Calvin calls what we're talking about the secret workings of the, of the spirit, making Christians experience the confidence of God's favor, his actual love for them, all the chemical stuff. Well, how long has it been? All right, uh, I want to transition to the novella. You can get it in paperback or Kindle at Amazon. It's the Song of Songs novella by Dr. Bill Sinyard or Bill Sinyard. It was, it's such an easy read. That's the idea. It talks, it, it uh, presents this love of God for people, regular people like you and me, uh, where, where God finds us. So look, just sit back, listen, take your shoes off, take a breath. I'm just going to read movement number one and just let me know how it hits you today. Movement one is about where God finds us, where his love finds us. He doesn't keep us there. There's a transformative power behind his love that we need. Uh, but this is the beginning of it, right? This is the, the first of, of the seven movements. And remember, we're not talking about God having sex. That's creepy. It's just that there's no other way for us to explain, to describe in human terminology, the effects of this chemical cocktail being released in our brain when the Holy Spirit gives us power, his power, God's power, to access the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. It should be noticeable. So our experience of it, the effect it has on our brain, feels like the same thing we experience in our brain during intimacy with another human being. I mean, that's the closest we get. So I'm curious, how does it, how does it hit you? How does it strike you, brother or sister? Does it bother you? Does it excite you? Uh, does it frustrate you? Does it shame you? Tell me, share your feelings with me, Bill at gospel-app.com. All right. All right. Here's movement number one of the Song of Songs novella. Enjoy. Oh, please, let him kiss me and keep on kissing me with his lips. It was hard to make any sense of her heart's silent cry. These past few weeks had been a blur. There was the chance meeting, the very brief courtship, the unbelievable wedding, and it all happened far too quickly. All she knew at this moment was that this was very wrong. She was in an emotional turmoil. On the one hand, she just knew that she didn't belong here. On the other hand, she also deeply and insatiably wanted more. 
Her pulse was racing. Her eyes were wide open. Her feelings were in sharp contrast to the man lying next to her, fast asleep, fully satisfied, fully at peace. What in the world was she doing here? Her head was swimming and beginning to ache. The cool night air helped, but could not stem the growing tide of insecurity. The reclined couple was immersed in the heavy, intoxicating aromas of the magnificent gardens that surrounded them. The gardens of Solomon were renowned worldwide for their magnificence and beauty. Though the moon was out, she could still only make out the dark shadows of the trees and shrubs that protected their intimacy. She could smell the new almond blossoms, the sweet wafting aroma that was only a further aphrodisiac for lovers. The royal couple lay entwined on a magnificent blanket, hand-woven from the finest of wool and fabric, inlaid with pastoral scenes, hand-sewn in gold and silver by the finest artisans in the realm. The scenes came to life in the glimmering moonlight that blanketed the couple. How can this be real, she thought. The great king was the man lying beside her, his impressive face ever so close to hers. This was the king of Israel. She hesitantly ventured to gaze at his face for a moment. She knew that she wouldn't dare look at a king for so long if his eyes were open. He was a man of immense glory. She had learned at a young age that you couldn't look into the eyes of royalty. One of her position must divert her eyes and bow to the ground when the king or any royalty passed by. He was magnificently handsome, masculine and confident, she thought. He seemed to incarnate what she imagined shalom meant. Oh, and how handsome. Oh, how perfect. He could have any maiden he ever wanted. What was she doing here? She could clearly see why the maidens of the land dreamed of being with him, much less of even being noticed by him. His love was more intoxicating than any wine she had ever known. His presence was regal and magnificent. He naturally filled a room with his presence, just as his carefully crafted anointing oils permeated all nooks and crannies. He was a man of substance and social weight. He was not to be overlooked, ever. His very name was Shalom. And on the other hand, she was easy to overlook. And yet, here she was, his bride. Can this be, is this real? Her heart was desperately dancing between yearning desires and debilitating fear. It was ready to explode, to expose her silent desire. Take me again, my king lover. Let's be intimate once more. Let me taste your love again. Let me experience that joy again, that full delight. Hurry, I want to drink your love so deeply that I am drunk from it. But then her old companions, fear and insecurity, broke into the queen's thoughts. What am I thinking? Don't go there. Don't set yourself up for another fall. This one from such a great height. Wake up. You're not at all worthy of him. He is the righteous king. He rightly deserves a righteous woman. Oh, my king, it is the truly righteous who love you. So who did I think I was to think such outlandish thoughts? I mean, I have promising and some would say even pleasant features. I'm not homely at all, but I am not at all of royal stock. I come from 
common people, the working class, all of the women at court can see it clearly. My sun-darkened skin betrays that I'm a worker in the fields of the king, not a pampered princess raised in the shaded courts and eating at the king's table. My cracked skin is black and wild like the tents of desert raiders, like the dark temple curtains. As she lay there silently, a painful reality check set in. The respite of the garden had only been a temporary lifting of her fears. Her insecurities were deeply rooted. She definitely had her reasons. All she had known was rejection. It seemed that all creation was against her. She remembered her first days at court. She could sense the jealousy and resentment from the other women at the court. They were not subtle, not at all. Oh, how she hated the downward stares from the haughty, self-righteous eyes. They burned her just like the sun, just like her brothers. This was all she had known. She was way out of her league, and she knew it. It was a question of value. In Israel, women had little social worth and autonomy, and this was particularly true for young teenage girls like her. Her family was not upper class, not on the royal A-list, They weren't even landowners. They were just vine dressers by trade, one of the many vine dressers of the king's many vineyards. When her father died, she became a functional ward of her brothers. It didn't matter if she was a girl or not. The family had a covenantal responsibility to service the king's land. It didn't matter, ultimately, that she did not want to be a vineyard keeper. It didn't matter how working the fields roughened her hands. It didn't even matter how the exposure to the sun scarred her and stripped her of any femininity. It didn't matter the ungentlemanly treatment that she received from the other vine dressers, all vulgar men who would cheat on their wives in a second. This was her lot in life. This would be her children's lot and their children's. She was a blue-collar servant from a long line of servants to the king's household. That was not the worst of it. What little residual value was afforded to a young woman in her world, she had long ago traded away. What she learned about love was at the hands of the other workers in the vineyards. It was in their hands that she had foolishly given away her own vineyard. She had sold her social worth for an evening of passion and promises uh, and betrayal. What a foolish girl. In Israel, what little worth a woman had was measured by her marriageability, which in turn was measured almost exclusively by her virginity. Dowries were for virgin brides. Righteous men, decent men, sought righteous brides. Women who had known a man were social pariahs. There would be no dowry, only further shame to the family name. No righteous man in Israel would risk losing his own social standing by entering into such a scandalous relationship, at least so it would appear, with the possible exception of this king. Oh, don't get your hopes up. If things appear too good to be true, well, There is only a narrow line between human fear and its many poisonous fruits, which surface at the drop of a hat. As she silently gazed at the reclined figure of Shalom, her fears erupted into deep, burning anger. Doesn't he see, doesn't he get it, that I do not belong here? I'm not worthy of this crown, this bed, this embrace. What does he want from me? I'm not a queen. 
She could keep silent no longer. Her lips betrayed her and began to puke out her secret vulgar thoughts. Please tell me, she said, startling the sleeping king, you whom my my soul loves in the hidden recesses of your heart, what real princess are you really sexually attracted to? Whom are you dreaming about? Who is it that you're fantasizing over during the day or sleeping with when you are not with me? I can't take being used again or being abused again. This crown on my head means nothing. I don't feel like a queen right now. I feel like a cheap prostitute tragically chasing after shepherds at the midday rest. I feel dirty. I sleep with you in the dark, but come morning, I may be cast out at a whim. What was I thinking? I must be a laughingstock. Your friends must be getting a real kick out of this. I bet that they're laughing at me right now. Well, the great lover king was unruffled, but not unmoved. As he majestically leaned forward, his broad shoulders began to eclipse the partial moon that was sinking in the sky. There was absolutely no anger in his eyes, only compassion, and not the pity kind, but an honoring, assuring kind. Her voice failed her. Her world stopped. Oh, most beautiful of all the women in the court, if you need to be reassured... If you're still afraid that in some deep, dark recess of my heart I'm really lusting after someone else, then look again. Look thoroughly. My heart is an open book to you. There is nothing clandestine going on. Come and see. It's as clear as sheep tracks at a muddy field. Just follow them. There is nothing hidden from you. Come and see again that my love is for you alone. And hear me again, my queen, you are worthy of the position of royalty. When I consider you, I see a glorious, magnificent, gilded, thoroughbred mare, rightly identified with the greatest of kings. You are worthy to be displayed publicly, honored by all who honor the king. All of the queen's jewelry most naturally adorns your face. It would look awkward on any other face. I will bring you more jewels so that there could be no doubt about who you are. His words became movement. He appropriately drew near his queen, gently caressed her. His lips pressed hers, her lips fully captured by his love. She was wonderfully and fully swept into the king's resurrecting embrace. Oh, my heart, moaned the queen's inner voice. See how the king surrounds you. Yes, he's drawn near. He is intimately surrounding me, embracing me, caressing me. My heart swells and pounds. It aches in response. My temperature rises, igniting my fragrant aroma. It is erotically entwining with his aroma. He is as close to me as my perfume pouch that hangs between my breast. I am entranced by his scent. Choice intoxicating smells, ravishing me, capturing me in the moment. Her thoughts rambled. This is unbelievable, unimaginable. Am I being used? To what end? The king could have any woman, and there are many willing. Why would he risk so much to pursue me? There are so many who are more feminine, more elegant, more suitable for the great king. I belong in the stained cots of the drunks in the vineyard, getting love wherever I can. As if the king could read the woman's thoughts, he passionately uttered the most wonderful of words. Hanak, Yafa, 
Rayati, Hanak, Yafa. Look at you. Just look at you. Can't you see? You're beautiful, my beloved. Just look. Can't you see? Oh, so beautiful. Your eyes are like precious doves. Without a hesitation, arguments rush to her lips. Compliments are too painful. Oh, no, 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 no. It's you who are glorious and handsome, my lover, and, and you're so charming, too. Our, our marriage bed is so green and luxurious. I do not belong in this dream. Even the beams of our house are giant majestic cedars. It's rafters, regal fir trees. But look at me. I'm no prize. My king, I'm just a generic flowering weed, one of a billion others, so common to the valleys and the plains, nothing more. Please don't mock me. Use me, cast me away, but please don't lie to me about who I am. Are you kidding? Comparing you to other women is like comparing that same wonderful flowering weed to a bunch of thorn bushes. My queen, you are worthy of the love of a king. What am I doing arguing with you, my king? I don't belong here. You are in another league to any one I have ever known. I mean, compared to you, all of the other men that I've ever experienced are just mere scrub trees, spindly, immature garbage bushes. But you, my lover, are a majestic apple tree. Your branches are strong and protecting and your safe place. Your fruit is abundant. Your branches give life. They give me life like I've never experienced from anyone, anywhere. I'm, I'm so confused. And in spite of all the danger flags, I just want to be with you always. I just want to passionately consume you. The king and his chosen queen fell into a lover's embrace reaching heights of love and intimacy that are the stuff of the ancient poets. This was the stuff of the gods. She willingly entered in, not a victim, and not by force. She took on the robe of a free agent, a woman who belonged here. She dared to love in spite of all of her former programming. Can this be true? Dare I even think this? I am the one, after all, whom he has brought to the king's garden, This is a very public proclamation to all who snoop, and there is no secret in the castle. He has seated me of all people next to him at this grand banquet hall. This is a a bold and very public presentation of his love for me alone. Maybe, just maybe, it's not a cruel joke. I still can understand. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit my experience with love. It's too much for me to believe. Far too wonderful, far too dangerous, far beyond my wildest dreams. Somebody get me something sweet. I'm about to faint with love. In the end, the love of the king conquered this willing victim. She willingly succumbed to her lover's embrace. She freely plunged into the sweeping love that washed into his jubilant, vast heart. They were one. United in a lover's embrace, for a moment, she really was the queen. The crown, at least for a moment, seemed to fit. She mused how much she liked the feeling. She blushed at how much she enjoyed being called beloved, his beloved. Amazing love, how can it be? Daughters, this love is a dangerous Devouring animal, not to be taken lightly. Settle for no counterfeit, no substitute to this love. Don't mess with it. 
unless it so desires. It was an amazing, transforming love. She still had many fears, doubts, and insecurities, but this love was powerful, pursuing, honoring, and transforming. It reminded her of the relentless, pounding waves of the great sea that ravaged, shaped, washed, and fed vast shorelines. His love felt like that. It was vast, glorious, dangerous, wild, violent, and careless, but also tender and life-giving. For a moment in time, the waves had washed her fears away. For a moment, the beach was free of debris and garbage. Shalom. As she drank in the glittering heavenlies with her eyes, she was the queen of the garden. She was the garden. Though she reclined in his arms, her heart danced free. She danced like a queen. No servant could dance so high. The stars shone upon her dance. The shadows danced on the cedars and the willows. The heavenlies sang to her, Hanak Yafa Riyati. Hanak Yafa, O Queen. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, again, please... You know, right now, think about what's what's bugging you, what's what's popping up in your head or your feelings, your gut, and, and let me know. Bill at gospel-app.com. Love to love to dialogue with you. Have questions? Love to hear that as well. If you can't find the book on Amazon, let me know as well. I love this quote by James Finley. When God gazes at us and we gaze at God, we light up. And God lights up with joy of being recognized by the one that God created in God's own image and likeness for the very sake of this recognition. It's a state of visceral, emotional, intimate communion, a tender recognition of oneness that we might rest in it, resting in us, resting in this communion in each other, as each other, through each other, beyond each other, and this endless interconnectedness of life itself, of love. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of um, choppy and, and gutsy, and it's, it's, it's like lovers. 
Okay, so have you heard God say to you recently, Hanak Yafa, Riyati, Hanak Yafa? If yes, share the difference that it made in your life. Give me a testimony. And if not, what do you think? Why don't, don't you think you've heard it? Um, what's your fears around that? Um, would it change your identity, your sense of worth and relationships and well-being if you did hear it right now? Send me your thoughts, Bill at gospel-app.com. If you have questions too, by the way, I would encourage you to keep saying the simple uncluttered gospel aloud twice a day. I'm almost, I'm begging you to do it. It's, it's asking God for his power to make you hear Hanakyafa Riyati Hanakyafa. Yeah. All right. Here it is again. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the father loves the son and the son loves the father He can't love you any more or less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple. Good news. There is something that you can do and are invited to do. You can... Take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. Twice a day, 40 days, 50 days. You can get it uh, in bookmark form from the webpage store at gospelrant.com or from the uh, gospel app website, gospel-app.com. Get a bunch of them. They're not that expensive. Hand them out. People will thank you. Your friends, your family will thank you. Uh, get get a partner to say it together, uh, face-to-face. Say it aloud. And while you're on the, if you go to the gospelrant.com page, do me a big favor. Click follow so, uh, so we know if we're scratching itches. If you register there, you will get a, the Song of Songs poetic diagram and another free gift. Also, I'm rewriting my book on the Song of Songs. If you're on the mailing list, you will get a heads up when we're about to publish. It will be a book that, oh my goodness, I think is going to be so powerful for so many Christians who've just forgotten uh, so much about the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ, or maybe wonder if they've ever felt it. That could be you. Uh, your support is important to me. Let me know what you're getting out of this series. Bill at gospel-app.com. Share it with friends and family and church. You can also follow my YouTube channel, Dr. Bill Sinyard, and uh, subscribe there as well. All of these things, I hope, are encouraging you in your walk with, with Christ, but also how you're feeling about yourself, about your relationships. I hope this is making a difference. All right? Take heart, child of God. God kept calling my heart like I just knew he was my safe place. I hope people don't walk away going, wow, you're really awesome. More than like, wow, Jesus is really interesting and he's really awesome. Everybody on this planet is dealing with some sort of what if. How does that one courageous decision affect the whole world? A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. If you were encouraged by what you just heard, please search Trevor Talks on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com.